Before I dig into God's Word, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, thank you to our ladies' ministry for Friday night. That was incredible. Uh, uh, this place was packed full of ladies and, and uh, just such a great time for our ladies. It, you could, Since they were unable to do it last year, you could just tell an excitement about being together. And so uh, thanks for, for that beautiful evening. Uh, second of all, um, I was talking to somebody in the first service, and they said, congratulations to your Bears for winning the Big 12 championship and everything. And I and it's pretty exciting. But I said, I think it's a, one of the signs of the end times. So <laughs> we better we better get ready uh, for what's going to happen. That that was exciting. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we're we're about to dig into um, uh, what we're calling the gift of grace. What's going to happen over the next four Sundays is you're not going to have to go too far in your Bible uh, because we're going to kind of dig in in one chapter for four weeks, and it's John chapter one. And if you have your Bibles or your devices, John chapter 1, I'll get there in a minute. I want to kind of uh, help you to see where we're going a little bit. Um, the I Love Lisi sitcom, I realize the younger generation doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about, but the I Love Lucy starring Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and Desi Lou Productions Many of you kind of grew up with it in in uh, some way, shape, or form. If not you, then your parents. But I Love Lucy, many agree, was the first sitcom that something very uh, unique happened that set the tone for all shows even today. And what that was is they were the first TV sitcom to use multiple cameras. Before then, it was just one camera with a live audience, and that was what you got. But with I Love Lucy, they went to multiple cameras, then they would edit it to what you would get on uh, on your TV. And what what that did is gave you different angles to the same scene, some close-up, some uh, backed up a little bit, but it was the first one. And we know today, good night, I don't even know how many cameras. Uh, your basic sitcom uses, much less a sporting event where it seems like they got a camera on every player. And so, but that was the first. You know, when it comes to the Bible, the first four books in the New Testament are what we call the Gospels, the good news about Jesus coming. And each of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give her a different perspective or a different camera angle on the life of Jesus. Let me let me give you some background. Matthew wrote the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew, uh, we know, was a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. But he was writing to a Jewish background, to people from a Jewish background. So when you read Matthew you will see he was, he's referring back to the Old Covenant many times, and he's uh, speaking that they may understand from a Jewish perspective. You get to Mark, the Gospel according to Mark. Mark is the shortest Gospel, 16 chapters. 
It's real quick. And repeatedly, you will see the word immediately in there. Immediately. And so he's going quickly through the helicopter view of the life of Jesus and, and just picking things out. And you're going from one to the other. Luke is the next one. Dr. Luke wrote this. And it is predominantly written to a Gentile, uh, is Greeks especially. This it was his audience. And he was a doctor. So he's into the details, right? I've always thought about this. And Flint, it's not a knock on you, but I don't, I don't know how they could read. Uh, have you ever looked at a prescription? I'm thinking, good night. I don't even know what they're saying here. And uh, I, I, I thank goodness for the pharmacist, though, that knows what's going on. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but Luke wrote to a predominantly Greek audience, and you, but he was into the details. And so you see uh, the details come uh, out there in Luke. And then you get to John. John, who himself called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And uh, you would think, oh, that's kind of egotistical. But they knew that there was a special relationship on the earth between Jesus and John. And uh, John writes from that intimate relationship that he had with Jesus. His audience was uh, both Greek and Jewish. And so he's writing more from relational. It's not so much the, the details like Luke brings out. But these are four different camera camera angles on the life of Jesus. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing John chapter 1. We're going to be just digging in for the next four Sundays as we see the approach of the uh, Christmas day and uh, then the Sunday after Christmas. We will be uh, unpacking John's view of the coming of Jesus. And it's incredibly uh uh, going to be moving, hope challenging to you. And we call it the gift of grace. And here's a good assignment. Since we're going to be in John chapter 1 for four Sundays, I would encourage you to read it weekly. Uh, maybe commit some of it to memory because you're going to be uh, in that chapter. So John chapter 1, I'm going to be reading through verse 8. So follow along with me. Verse 1, in the beginning, obviously, just like Genesis, I'll uh, deal more on that in just a minute. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or extinguished it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this John is not the writer of this particular book. This was referring to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus' coming. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. In the beginning, he says in the beginning, just like uh, the beginning of the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. I, I, I want to try to unpack this to you, 
And what we're going to be talking about is just Jesus himself and, and the qualities and the character of who he is from these verses. But I want to begin with this. In the book of Matthew, remember I told you he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. And he has a genealogy record of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And it goes back to Abraham. You may remember. He goes back to Abraham. And from Abraham to Jesus, he gives the genealogy of Jesus' life. Why did he go back to Abraham? Because Abraham was the father of all the Jewish nation. And so he went back to Abraham. Luke, who is writing to both Jews and especially Greeks, he has a genealogy in there. And where does Luke go? He goes all the way back to Adam. All mankind came from Adam, right? And so he goes back to Adam and gives the genealogy of Jesus right there. So John is going to give his genealogy. And where does he go? He goes back pre-time. And he goes all the way back to pre-time. I remember as a kid, just and you've probably done this as well, you try to get a picture of time and what was before time, and your brain just goes, because it can't figure it out. But in the beginning, actually bees begins with pre-time, and, and uh, Jesus has always been, and that's what he is saying there, in the beginning, for all time, God has, uh, Jesus has existed. So the first thing you might want to write down is this. Jesus is eternal. He has always been. Jesus is eternal. He didn't begin with a uh, cave in a manger in Bethlehem. That's not where he started. He has always been. Jesus is eternal. He has always been. What does this tell us then if Jesus has always been pre-time what does that mean? That means that he is full authority. That means that he was before time. He is fully trustworthy. Uh, we, we can see that he has authority over human nature. He has authority over what we call mother nature because he would calm storms. He, he, he had all authority. He had authority over demonic powers. We see he spoke and, and the demons would flee. We see that he had all authority. And he has always been, Jesus is eternal. It says, in the beginning. And notice what it says next. He says, was the word. Now, that's foreign concept to us. But notice the word, the word word is capitalized here. So it's referring to an individual or something. Now, John knew his audience. He was writing to both Jews and Greek. And both of them would understand the concept of the word word, especially in a capital form, a format. It meant an expression. It meant uh, this was uh, the picture of the principle of divine reason. The, the Gentiles would understand that. The Jews would understand that. It was order and power. The Greek word is the word logos. And we get several words from logos, logic, logistics. In fact, uh, that's one of the things I love about this is the word, uh, the word word actually is referring to Jesus, which is the expression of God to man. And in fact, you might want to write that down is that Jesus is the expression of God to man. 
and the logos, and this is what I love too. Some of you are in, I took a logic class in college. Uh, I don't know why I took it, but it, it's uh, uh, logic. They said it, it helps public speakers and stuff. But logic, you know, forms things out into a, a common end. Logistics, some of you are in logistics, and you love to see how things work together. Well, this is this. Jesus is the expression of God to man. It's the logistics of God ex- putting himself, expressing himself in a way that you and I can understand. Okay? So Jesus came, and he is the expression of God to man, so we can understand the character and the mind of, of God through looking at him. In fact, Philippians 2, you may remember when we walked through the letter of Philippians. Philippians 2 says that that Jesus emptied himself and became just like us. He limited himself to this earth suit, and, and that's what he did. In fact, it, when I was writing just my thoughts down, I, I said this. When I look at the vastness of God, his majesty, his glory, his holiness, how he showed himself in a burning bush, a pillar by day and a fire by night. There is so much there that I cannot, be honest, in my puny brain, understand it. However, when I look at a uh, at the man of Jesus who came, now I can understand a little bit the character of God. It's like uh, last night we went to the um, down to the lights on the lake down at Old Settlers. Man, it was great. Uh, there was so many people there. You just kind of heard around. But we got there before the lights cut on. Pam has an app that uh, you hit the app, and um, it was a beautiful night. There's stars and everything, and uh, so you're able to take this app and you put it uh, towards something and you could see Saturn there, you could see other things there and it would tell you the, the constellations that are there. It, it's a great app. But what it did is it works like a telescope. What does a telescope do? It takes something that's so massive and it brings it to a point that you can a little bit understand it. You're looking at Saturn and you see the rings of Saturn. It, it, but let me tell you, Saturn is massive. And so what it does, it brings it down to a telescopic way that you can understand it. Well, what God has done is so that we, as weak humanity, could try to understand him, he expressed himself in Jesus. Does that make sense? He, he took the majesty of who he is and he expressed himself in Jesus. And, and so we see that he was the word. And his hearers would understand that. They would understand the word, expression, uh, the logistics of God coming. They would understand that. So whenever you read the word, he is referring to Jesus. And notice what it says. It says the word was God. He's always been, and the word was God. He's the same mind and reason of God. So you're going to have to hear what I'm saying. 
Jesus was 100% God. Jesus was also 100% man. And I know you math people are saying, good night, Mark. There's no way you can be 100% of one thing and 100 you know, like Yogi Berra said, it's, it's baseball is 90% half mental. You know, you're trying to do the, you're trying to do the math uh, in what is going on there. Listen, I don't understand the math, but I just know that God did it. And listen, we, we look throughout the history of the church. There have been many, um, uh, false teachings that have arisen that said, oh, Jesus, there's no way that God would have taken on uh, flesh because flesh is corrupt. He did. Uh, we also see that there were others that said, oh, Jesus was just a man. He was a good man. He represented God, but he wasn't God. Listen, I, I believe that he was 100% God. He was 100% man. And what that does for me it lets me know that he completely identifies with me but he is complete savior that i can trust and so jesus uh we know is god and you can you can write that down jesus is god he's not a subordinate god or another god uh, he is god fully an expression we can grasp the song the hymn that most of us grew up with Holy, holy, holy God in three persons. Mark explained the, the Trinity. Nobody's been able to explain the Trinity. We've tried to use uh, different uh, word pictures to describe the, the whole, uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the relationship they have. Everything falls short. Um, but I do know that what, what we see in the Scriptures is we see there's what one God in, with, with three distinct personalities as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. And, and listen, there's times with me that even if I can't explain it, doesn't mean I don't believe it. I do not have a clue about everything I eat. I don't have a clue about all the meds I take. I, I don't have a clue. I, I know somebody else does, but I, if I got a headache, I, I, I take some ibuprofen and it goes away. Uh, the key point is not that I understand what ibuprofen does. The key point is that it takes my headache away. The key point for me is that I'm a sinful man. I don't understand everything about God. But I know in my sinful frailty, Jesus came and he saved me. That's what I know. And so you're, somebody may say, well, Mark, that's kind of blind faith. Uh, we live that way every day. And so uh, I just come to believe that this is how God works through the oneness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe it. Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And no, no. The scripture goes on to say this. He was from the beginning. He is eternal. All things were made through him. Notice that in verse 3. All things were made through him. And the way I look at it is Jesus is the architect. Uh, 
I mean, I can say he's the creator, and he is the creator, but I can really uh, see him as the architect because I see the massiveness of what he's done. Uh, obviously, I have architect friends. Jorge? Yeah. Okay. I didn't wake him up. He's an architect friend. Uh, don't go to sleep on me, man. I'll call you, I'll call you down. Okay, Jorge is an architect, and so uh, what I love about architects, they can take a blank piece of paper, and man, you give them a pen, and they just can make these incredible drawings to scale and everything, and it's just such an incredible thing. I think it's such a gift, but I think it's a gift from God, because God is the creator God. He's the architect God, and he can take a blank canvas he can take no canvas, and he just does incredible things. Uh, there was a man uh, uh, who who came by the name of William Paley, and William Paley he came up with the concept in the in the late mid to late 1700s. He came up with a concept of master designer, and he was the first one that said. If you were walking in the woods and you come across a pocket watch and and you come across that pocket watch, are you going to first of all think, oh, that pocket watch. Over billions of years, that pocket watch just came to be. And, and, and that's, and, and, and I know I'm not doing evolutionist justice in what they believe. I'm not an evolutionist. Uh, but that would be saying over billions of years, either through a Big Bang or through something, that pocket watch just came to be. Well, or or do you believe that there was a creative designer who designed that pocket watch? I, I, I that's the way I land. Is I believe that that God, in His incredible way, took you and I, who are much more complex much more advanced than any pocket watch or any Apple watch or anything that you have on. You are much more creatively created. You are so much more advanced. And and we can think, oh, okay, over billions of years, you just came into existence. Now, evolutionists would say you adapted, and through adaptation, you came who you are. I don't believe that. I believe according to the scriptures, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created you and me. And so the scriptures tell us over and over, and it tells us right here, and I want to read to you in Colossians. In Colossians 1.15, it says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and, get this, for him. I love that because he did not just create mankind to take up space on this earth. He created us for his glory. And all is created for his glory. And, and I, I struggle with this just like you struggle with this. I think the world revolves around me so often. And it really doesn't. I was created for him, by him, and for him. And and so I, I want you to grab that, that Jesus is the...
the architect. One more thing I want to draw out of this passage. Notice that it says that he was the life that, that he was the light of men. That this the life that he has, verse four, was the light of men. So in other words, he is, you can write this down, Jesus is true life. When you get to the backside of John's gospel, in John chapter 20, he gives the reason that he wrote the book. And this is what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and get this, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's written this whole gospel for this very purpose, is so that you, by believing, may have true life. That's the reason he's written this. And, and listen, I'm not talking about uh, uh, just knowing about him but to know him, to know true life. That's why he has written this gospel. This is why Jesus came to give us this true life. That's why he gave his life so that you and I might have life. I want to give you three so what's just real quickly. Because uh, I always ask myself, if I read this, so what does it mean in my life personally? One is this. God came as Jesus so that we could know him. God came as Jesus so that we could know him. Not just know about him. Not just know the history. Not thinking Jesus uh, that, that God is some myth or some speculation. Or uh, as has been said, it's a weakness of weak people to come to invent a, a God. I believe that Jesus came to, to, so that we could know him. Not just know about him, but to truly know him. And here's my question for you today. If I say something like this, can you say the best, best of my ability, Mark, I think I do know him. I do know him. If that's why Jesus came, I have committed my life to him to know him. I, I commit, commit myself to that truth that I do know him because I look at my life I, I was privileged to grow up in a Christian home uh, Christian parents uh, I went to church all the time uh, I was very blessed in that area but let me tell you something until I came to experience true life through Jesus Christ I could have been a great church person I could have been a great moral person. I could have done teaching. I could have done all these things. But I'm telling you, it comes down to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't come down to religious activity. It comes down to a relationship. So my question for you is, do you know him? This Christmas season, I pray that that is your heart's desire. Number two is this. God came as Jesus to completely identify with man. I love this, to completely identify with man. We can trust him as a true Savior. Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest who has identified with us in all ways. 
and and somebody's going to say, yeah, Mark, but does he understand a handicap? And I, I think, good night. We're talking about the massive God who's limiting himself to these earth suits. You talk about a handicap, that's a huge handicap. But yeah, but Mark, does he know poverty? Yeah. Does he know uh, weakness? Does he know hunger? Yeah, the scriptures tell us that he does. Does he understand uh, hurt? Does he understand abandonment? Yeah, he understands all those things. It does does my heart incredibly uh, good to know that I have a Savior who loved me, who has gone through all and more than I could ever go through. He's completely identified. Could he, under, could he identify, though, Mark, with sinful humanity? He was willing to take on this earth suit. And the difference between him and me is that he was perfect, but he was able to take all my sin on that cross. That he, he took it all. So he can completely identify. The third and final thought is this. God came as Jesus to give us true life. Not just let us... Not just lungs that work, heart that works, but to give us true life. Not just existence, but the life that God intended for us to have. Eternal life. He come. He came for that very reason. This Advent season, this, this is my prayer. My prayer for me and for you is that your heart would somehow be uh, that scar on your heart that's kind of there that would be picked a little bit, that, that there would be some something in you that says, you know, Lord, I really want to know you this Advent season. I really want to know you this Christmas season. Not just the giving and the receiving of gifts, and that's great, but to understand your incredible gift that you have given to me. I end with this. There was a man, a student, who was taking his final exams in college, and his final exam was in his physics class. Uh, and, and the professor said, your finals are coming, just like many of our students are about to take finals. The professor said, um, listen, I'm going to let you take an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper and you can write on there anything that, or you can put on there anything that you think will help you in the test. You can, you can put anything on that eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that may help you on the test. And you can bring it with you. Well, everybody, you know, man, they're writing as tiny as they can to write in every margin, everywhere, anything that they can think of in semester that they think can help us. But one, this guy was smart. What he did is he went to a doctoral student in physics. And he went to them, and they were a friend. He said, I want you to come to class with me. And he went to class, and he put that 8.5 by 11 piece of paper on the floor, and he had that doctoral student stand on it to give him the answer to the test. Now, we're thinking A-plus for creativity right there. But, you know, all of us are going to stand before the Creator God someday. And are we going to stand before Him and say, well, this is what I believe, and this is what I think, and this is what 
we're going to try to talk a holy God into allowing us into his kingdom. When instead, Jesus has come and he's willing to stand on the paper. And are we going to say, this is the only hope I got is Jesus.